Welcome to the Top Flight Podcast as we continue our Road to Moscow series. Happy July the 4th to everyone listening. All you American people, uh, hopefully, along with me, hoping that we make the World Cup in 2022. And hopefully there's uh, some good American talent that's coming to the Premier League in the coming years. Maybe Christian Pulisic signs for Chelsea. Who knows? But I'm Ori Benatar, joined alongside uh, site expert for the Top Flight, my good buddy Ashley Anthony. Ashley, hoping South Africa makes it in 2022. Yeah, you and me both, buddy. Thanks for having me again on the show. It's awesome to be here again. Such a crucial time in the tournament. Yeah, we are through for the round of 16. We are into the quarterfinals. The round of 16 was incredible. A lot of action, a lot of drama. And we have our quarterfinal matchup set. Still eight games left in the tournament. We've only had one scoreless draw. So once again, sarcastic thank you to France and Denmark for not scoring a goal in your meaningless final Group C encounter. But we are going to start off this podcast by just going through the games that happened on Monday and Tuesday, starting off with the Brazil-Mexico match. 2 nothing win for Brazil, their third straight 2-0 victory of the tournament. Uh, Neymar getting the go-ahead goal. Then he decided to roll around a bunch. He got stepped on. He got stepped on and decided to go crazy. And then uh, Roberto Firmino of Liverpool finishing it off for the 2-0 victory. So, Ashley, seeing Brazil the last three performances, would you say that they're the best team right now in the tournament? Yes, I would say they're the most convincing team. Um, not conceding, only conceding once in the group stage and again going into the lockout phase without conceding a goal. Um, playing above the pressure of it being a heavy rivalry of an American match, I would say they will really look the best of the round of 16 teams here. Yeah. I agree. I think Brazil's had a, a good consistency to them, even without Marcelo and Danny Alves against Mexico. They had they were they were exposed a little bit in the beginning of the game. Irving Lozano and Carlos Vela was were able to find some space and able to create some chances on the counter. But once they got settled in, you know Neymar got settled in. For me, the man of the match was Willian. I thought Willian performed the best. Would you agree? Oh yes, I, I don't think Neymar deserved the man of the match, but probably because of the goals he scored and the the, the so-called assist, because I don't think he assisted the second goal. I think he more went for the shot. They just, um, or coach has saved it. So yeah, it went to the path of Firmino and he finished it off. Um, yeah, William was the best performer, but hands down, he took the game to Mexico um, single-handedly at one stage. I think it was um, just at the start of the second half. Um, they were still scoreless, and then right, I'm just right, thinking of the top scoreless, yeah. Yeah, so going in the second half, William um, straight out the blocks, um, got going, and he took a game to Mexico because Mexico wasn't too bad. They just weren't good in their final third. <clears throat> I would say they like um, put everything on the line. It was very awesome to see Mexico play um, as a single unit. It was great, a great football match, all in all. Yeah, it was a very good game despite the scoreline. For the seventh straight World Cup, Mexico loses in the round of 16, still unable to get over the hump of the last 16 and not able to get to the quarterfinals. Despite beating Germany and South Korea in the first two games, I think that 3 nothing loss to Sweden really cost them. They could have played Switzerland in the next round. Instead, maybe they would have won that game. But Willian, that performance just reminded me of that, you know, two-month stretch he had at Chelsea last season where he was unstoppable as Brazil move on to yet another World Cup quarterfinal. As we move on to the next game of the round of 16, an incredible encounter between Belgium and Japan. The first half itself, not amazing, but both teams are going at each other. But that second half was the best 45 minutes of the entire tournament. Japan takes the 2-0 lead. Inui scores an incredible goal to give Japan the 2-0 lead. And then Belgium roars itself back. Tottenham's Jan Vertonghen with that 
looping header. I've never seen anything like that before. Then Marouane Fellaini, we all thought that Belgium was giving up when he when he comes in. The Man United player who's still with Man United. I don't know why. I don't know how. But he scored the clutch goal to tie the game. And then the winner from Nasser Chadley on another incredible uh, counter-attacking breakaway goal. Thibaut Courtois catching the corner, starting it off. And Romelu Lukaku made an incredibly intelligent run. And that dummy. Amazing game, Ashley. Oh, amazing game. Definitely. I think the last goal um, epitomized uh, what the team effort is. And a full team goal coming from um, a straight release of Courtois' hands to the defender, to the um, out wide. And then cross um, into the box. Perfect team goal. Um, that's been one of the highlights, I think, of the tournament, and they emphasize it, is that great team goals. When the team works together, they actually score fantastic goals. We've seen France do it. Now we've seen Belgium do it. Um, to win a game in 45 minutes or so says a lot about the, the, the big match temperament, I would say. Um, Japan, just unlucky. One of the better teams in the quarterfinals, I would also say. That's why this match goes up there with one of the best. I'm, I'm not the quarterfinals, sorry, round of 16. So I would say this game goes up there with one of the best that we've witnessed now so far. Right, and we'll talk about uh, what we felt was the best game of the round of 16. I think we're both going to agree that that's the one, but we'll officially proclaim that later on in the podcast. Unlucky for Japan, a great effort from them, trying to become the uh, first Asian team since South Korea in 2002 to make the quarterfinals. Because of Japan's loss, this is the first time since 2006 that the entire uh, quarterfinals is full of European and South American teams. Six European teams, two South American teams in the last eight. But I think Japan showed the weakness of Belgium, and that is the the flanks. Because they play with wingbacks, Thomas Munir and Yannick Carrasco, Munir came back a little bit, but Carrasco refused to play defense, and I feel that it was his fault that Japan scored both those goals because that first goal, Haraguchi just had all the space to run. He had an incredible far post shot, but that's Belgium's weakness, and I do not know, though, if Brazil... Brazil can take advantage of that big time, but I think Belgium might need to play four at the back. Yeah, definitely. I think um, this is where you would wish um, somebody like Marcelo was fit and ready to go, but um, the Felipe Luiz hasn't been too bad at left back, but for attacking Brawls and going at um, Belgium on the flanks, definitely you would want William Neymar, um, your fastest guys going at it. I would even give Danilo a show because he got the speed to run at them all the time, pin their um, the wing-backs back, making it um, play more in the um, Belgians off. So definitely, I think they can exploit it tremendously during the game. Definitely. Belgium and Brazil playing on Friday. We'll have our four full quarterfinal predictions. But let's talk about the games that happened yesterday. Uh, the first one was Sweden and Switzerland. Uh, Sweden won classic 1-0. This is what we're expecting from the Swedish team. Emil Forsberg. Uh, got the goal, but it was a wicked deflection off a Swiss, Swiss defender. Switzerland just couldn't get any shots off. Sweden was as organized as they've ever been. Is this Sweden team for real? Oh, they're for real. Um, I think four games with one-nil uh, victories, I don't think it's a fluke, eh? Um, um Being very efficient when they need to be, um, they've been brilliant in defense and uh, they've been working because, I mean, they haven't... They knew they're going into this tournament not one of the um, strongest scoring sides without slightly moving in this um, team. Um, and how they how they did their business, they did it the exact same all the time. The game they lost against Germany was in the Embers where they where Tony Cruz pulled off a brilliant free kick. Other than that, they wouldn't have lost the game a tournament and they would have been one of the best defensive teams besides Brazil. Right. I mean, I think... That's definitely their game. Their game 
he's been good. It's a tournament type of team, I would say. I agree. I, I think this is the classic tournament type team where you think to yourself, wow, this team could 1-0 their way to the World Cup final, like we saw with Spain. But with Spain, they were a European Championship uh, title winners in 08. They were the favorites in South Africa, but they had four 1-0 wins to win the World Cup. This Sweden team in this easy half of the bracket, they can 1-0 their way to a final. It's very, very possible. Um, and I think Sweden is a great example of you don't necessarily need the best player in your country's history to be on your team to be successful. Without Zlatan, they don't have to give the ball to him every time they attack, and there's more of a cohesion and more of a chemistry with that offense now whenever they do need to score a goal. So it would be very interesting to see when Portugal and Argentina, with Ronaldo and Messi retiring, if those teams can actually be more successful. I, that's an interesting question, Ashley. Let's let's throw it to you. Between Portugal and Argentina, when Ronaldo and Messi retire, which country do you think is more likely to win a major tournament first? I would say Portugal. Um, the team this in, in this tournament itself looked far better as a team, where Argentina just looked all over the place. Um, France um, just were better because they outscored them, but they also looked better as a team where Argentina just looked very bad. Whenever they had to play a very competitive game, they looked very, very bad. Um, so it will take a long time for them always changing their managers and never having the right manager for the job, like Maradona before. Now, um, what was the, this manager of this World Cup? Sorry, I forget his name. Zampaioli. Yes, same with him, um, never picking the right place for, for the team, leaving a card at home. Certain managerials, um, it is like that, always has been the, um, the demise of Argentina, so they won't, they won't come out of that hole anytime soon. I believe Portugal has also a lot of young, um, super superstar talents coming through the ranks, so they will definitely pick up their game soon. I agree. I think Portugal is more likely to win a tournament before Argentina. They have a little bit more talent, but also they have a manager. There's a little bit more organization within the federation, so I think Portugal have it in them. But let's talk about the game that everyone is talking about right now in these two days off in the World Cup, England and Colombia. England seem primed to win in regulation. Harry Kane scoring his sixth goal. He's probably going to win the Golden Boot. I don't see why anyone else would outrank him. You need to score three more goals if you're Romelu Lukaku in the next three rounds, possibly for Belgium, in order to win the Golden Boot. So Kane scoring his third penalty of the tournament, giving England the lead. They seemed like they were going to win. No problem. Easy. But then Yeri Mina popped up. And for me, he is the breakout star of the tournament. 93rd minute header. His third consecutive game he has scored for Colombia. Went 1-1. It went to penalties. And England won a shootout for the first time ever at a World Cup. It's unbelievable. I did not even think it could happen. But they took some really good penalties, huh? Ah, uh, yes. Very good penalties. I think Colombia... Although they lost it, they, they, they penalty takers were for sure. The first two, Falcao, Cordado, they both made sure they were scoring their penalties. Like, Paco was a big disappointment because you would expect him to score with these um, goal-scoring prowls and his um, prolificness in front of poles. But oh, the penalty takers were very efficient. Kane, again, leading by example through that penalty shootout. Uh, it was an amazing match to know to think that it went to extra time afterwards where, uh, where England were leading most of the game, you would say, nah, this is definitely England's game. But up steps that, <laughs> that player that has been stepping up for the past three games, out with um, Yamas in with him, and this guy has just been doing his job <laughs> overall, actually. Um, 
what else can I say about this game? Uh, the penalty shootout is just amazing to see England win. I think that was the best thing. To see England win a penalty shootout with all the criticism that they've been going through. That was a good thing. It was. It was It was pretty remarkable. Uh, Kane taking another great penalty. Kane's had four penalties in this tournament. He's nailed all four of them. Just tremendous, tremendous penalty taking from Harry Kane. That's how you should do it. Either kicking it high up and, or hard down low. Despite David Ospina, I guess... Possible from the keeper. <laughs> By any means necessary, yes. Yeah. And even though David Ospina guessed right, England took penalties that were unsavable because they were hitting him hard. The one thing that I will question about Garrett Southgate's penalty decision-making, I did not see why he put Jordan Henderson. I would have put Jamie Vardy in there. Mm, apparently, um, before the game or before the penalty shootout, um, they said Vardy was a bit injured or feeling a, a bit of a pain. So, therefore, Henderson stepped up or he was selected for the penalty shootout. That's rumor has it, <coughs> according to reports. It's always the excuse for somebody that missed. I would also use the same excuse. That was me. That was the only player that missed the penalty in a penalty shootout. <laughs> right. Vardy looked fine to me when he came on. I think Vardy and Rashford, Vardy and Rashford had a dynamic to the England offense that they really need. Because once again, England relying on set pieces to score their goals. Most of their goals have come off of Harry Kane penalties or corner kicks. they got to be able to create an open play. And right now, they just haven't been able to. Deli Ali in the two games he's played, I think, has been very disappointing. Jesse Lingard did not play that well. Raheem Sterling, I think, needs to do a lot more. People said he played really well. I didn't feel that he played uh, very well. Um, he was running at the defense. He was creating some space. But he needs to do a lot more. I mean, he had a his best season ever for Manchester City. And he needs to be able to do more for the England team. But we'll talk about uh, what we think the England changes should be when we talk about the quarterfinals. But let's do a quick little round of 16 uh, superlative awards. Best game of the round of 16. I'm going with Belgium-Japan. Yeah, best game. Hands down. Hands down. All right, so that's easy. game, there was the round of 16. Actually could take the most entertaining game of the tournament. I would agree with that. I think France and Argentina is very, very close. That was a great start to the round of 16, and at the at that moment, I felt that game was better than Spain-Portugal, but I think Belgium-Japan takes it. That second half was unbelievable. All right, best moment of the round of 16. We'll go with you first. Best moment of the round of 16. I would say when Russia beats Spain. has to be, because that was one of the most unexpected things to happen. Out of all the games, that, that just that penalty shootout. Once it went to penalty shootouts, everybody expected Spain to take it. But then Russia stepped up, making it sure home ground everybody's place a role in the um, tournament run. And they went through. That's my best moment of the round of 16. Yeah, Russia beating Spain was ridiculously unexpected. I mean, how is Spain going to pass it over a thousand times and not even beat Russia in regulation? It was ridiculous. Go listen, go listen to our previous episode. Esteban Bailey gives a nice little rant about Spain because he was pretty upset about it. Um, I think that I think the Russia moment's very good, but I, I think the England moment was a little bit better, especially because this is something that England has struggled with for decades and decades. It was something that they could finally cheer about. For me, this is the most positive England moment at a major tournament that I think I've been alive for, honestly, because the last three tournaments for England have been nothing but, you know, terrible moments, nothing positive. Maybe the last time I, I saw England fans feel very positive about their team and a moment that was truly, you know, a great moment knowing this team could maybe do something was maybe Euro 2012 when England actually beat Sweden 3-2. Danny Welbeck with that back heel goal, I felt that was the last time I really, you know, England fans were really happy about. But that penalty shootout win for England was just a huge monkey off their back. It gets the confidence up. The reactions from the pundits to the fans in London to the fans in Moscow, unbelievable scenes. 
amazing for England to get to the quarterfinals the way they did, winning on penalties. All right, let's go now to the best performer, best player from the round of 16. Who do you got, Ashley? Whereas I got as the best performer of the round of 16, just on you. Oh, my best performer is Mbappe, hands down. Kyle Mbappe was one of the best players for France. Anything anybody could do during the round of 16, Mbappe did better. He had um, great pace, technique. Uh, he just let it for his age or so at um, what he's doing at his age, taking the games to um, and playing against the likes of Messi and showing that he's playing above the tournament just shows that he's ready to be a world-class player. I agree 100%. It had to be killing Mbappe. He completely took over the game, single hand, almost single-handedly beat Argentina uh, with that France team. He just broke down their defense. They couldn't do anything about him. He was outrunning them like nuts. His football IQ is way above his age. I mean, he's one of the best. He might be the best 19-year-old I've ever seen play. Uh, maybe better than Cristiano Ronaldo was when he was 19. I mean, to that level. Yes, definitely. I mean, the teams that he's playing for at his age compared to what Ronaldo was playing at that age. It's two different, it's chalk and cheese. Right. Really. It's, it's a big gap in my opinion. And Mbappe making history, becoming just the second teenager to score a brace at a World Cup knockout game along with a, a guy named Pele who scored two goals in the final in 1958. So Kylian Mbappe is incredible. Great game. We'll see what he can do against Uruguay in the quarterfinals. And then our last superlative, uh, the best goal. There were a lot of good goals in this round of 16. I personally think Benjamin... Yeah. Special consideration to the to the Mbappe second goal and to the Chadley winner because those are great team goals, amazing counterattacking, amazing passing from all the way from their own third to the opponent's third to score. But I got to say the best goal around the 16 was Benjamin Pavard. That was incredible. That was just Nacho's goal notched up to 11 on the amplifier. That was the be- that should be the best goal of um, the tournament as well. It was really everything was spot on, 100% perfect. Form, vision, the technique, everything. Ah, oh, it was such. You could feel it once Tvalis, um left his foot that that was going to be a goal. It was definitely the goal of the, the round of 16. Definitely. I mean, that was just ridiculous form. This guy playing for Stuttgart, who were in the Bundesliga 2 just a season ago. Now he's just scoring incredible goals like that in a World Cup. But let's move on to the quarterfinals. Let's break down some of these matchups. So first game is going to be Uruguay against France. These two teams have played each other in two previous World Cups in this uh, millennium. 2002, they had a scoreless draw. Thierry Henry got a red card. And then in 2010, they had a scoreless draw. And a Uruguayan player got a red card. So that spells that this game will be probably low scoring. It's probably going to be physical. But Uruguay... I, while I think that Sweden has been the best defensive team of the tournament, I think that Uruguay has the best defensive individual talent of the tournament. With Diego Godin and Jose Jimenez, they've been impossible to break down. Ashley, how do you, do you think Mbappe can break down that defense, and how do you think he can do that? Uh, it's a very tough one to call. Eh? Um, France have the, one of the best attack. If, if, it, if not for Brazil, I think they, they would go down as the best attacking team. Um it's a very tough one to call. I think they will start to break down Uruguay. Um, Uruguay are missing um, a heavy front man if Cavani stays injured. So they will go in defensively. They know they can do something in penalties because they've been there, done that. Uh, Mbappe has the talent to break them down. And like you say, a low scoring um, game is expected. Uruguay is just defensively very good. And France is attacking very good. And they've been poor defensively. So. 
I think I'm going to say France 1-0. That's my prediction. I think that France is able to get one goal against Uruguay. I think if Cavani doesn't play, their attack is going to be all dependent on Suarez. I don't know how Suarez is going to be able to compete by himself against the likes of Varane and Umtiti and even Pavard, who performed great against Argentina. France struggled against um, defensive teams, Australia in the group stage. I mean, if it wasn't for a VAR decision, it wouldn't have really gone their way that particular fixture. So um, when it's one no ball games, I think France does struggle more than Uruguay. They they are able to play that one no ball game. True, but I feel that Kylian Mbappe has the intelligence and the speed to break down the defense. The way to break down a defense like that is to catch him off guard. Don't do this all, you know, passing around the midfield, taking it slow like, you know, we saw Spain did or even England did against Colombia. You just got to go. You got to run at them. You got to go fast. That's why I think maybe starting Dembele might be a move for France to make over uh, Matuidi. I felt Matuidi didn't really have a great game against Argentina. He didn't really add much. Uh, Matuidi. Matuidi could be, a, uh, like you say, Matuidi was that bad. He could have been the worst midfielder, worst player on the day. True. Of the yeah. But I, 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 th- I still think one other thing. I think France's talent outrakes that of Uruguay. I think they'll be able to score one goal, maybe off a set piece, or Mbappe can get one. Uh, would you agree France wins, or are you, you leaning towards Uruguay? France wins. I agree very much that France wins. Um, Uruguay only progressed. Um, their first game, they were bad. They progressed and got better game by game with France. were always good. They, were just, they just needed to get that perfect flow. Let's put it that way, and they found it now. To outscore Argentina is not an easy feat, and they did it with ease. Yeah, they did it. Right, they did it by scoring four goals, which is something very rare to see. Next quarterfinal on Friday, uh, Brazil and Belgium. That's going to be an awesome game. I can't wait for for that one. Uh, The number two and number three teams on the planet playing against each other on the same day as France and Uruguay. It's going to be a fun Friday indeed. Brazil-Belgium, man, that's going to be a really, really fun game. A lot of great talent on display. Neymar, Lukaku, Coutinho, Hazard, De Bruyne, Willian, uh, Gabriel Jesus maybe. But I, I'm i of the impression that Gabriel Jesus should be on the bench for Roberto Firmino. Do you think Firmino should start? Firmino offers more as a striker with his defensive work. Um, I, I just feel that Brazil always needs that number nine, like uh, Ronaldo was that number nine with good feet, able to take snapshots and stuff like that. Roberto Firmino can do it. Uh, but I think Asus fits the Brazilian style more. It just hasn't been good this tournament. But, and because of that, I think he shouldn't be starting over Firmino. Okay. That's the only reason. But because of him being the perfect number nine or the perfect Brazilian number nine, I think he starts over for um, eight of Firmino all the time. That's probably why. Interesting. Okay, I see your point there. I mean, the reason that I would think Firmino would work better against Belgium is because he's a little bit more physical. And he's played against, you know, the likes of Vertonghen. Right. He's played the, against the likes of Vertonghen and Alderweireld and company. And those guys are, are big are big dudes. They're not uh, they're not going to be easily outpaced. They're not going to be easily, you know, out-muscled. Firmino, I think, offers a little bit more there. But either way, Brazil has uh, phenomenal options at the striker position. But I think the key to this game has got to be what Roberto Martinez tells Carrasco and Munir on those wings. He's got to convince them. you got to come back and play defense because if they don't, Willian, Neymar, Coutinho, they are going to do whatever the hell they want on those flanks, and Brazil could just defeat them big time. I don't think Martinez adapts, and I think Brazil is going to beat Belgium 3-1. to one. I still don't think this Belgium team can get over the quarterfinal hump. 
Oh, yes, definitely. I, I actually don't feel Balthus on the score because Brazilians, Brazil has been so um, defensively sound. I feel that Belgium, um, against Japan, they were a weak opposition. I, they couldn't hold that 2-0 lead where Brazil has the, the, the strength to do it. Um, their defence has been awesome. They actually, for, for a team that attacks so well, that we named Coutinho, Paulinho, uh, Gabriel Sous, Neymar, all of that people you would think the team would lack in other departments, but they've actually been on par with the attack. So I believe Brazil will win this one. Uh, Belgium also, they don't have that um, that experience. Like we saw Tottenham's, um, Tottenham fail in the Champions League because they don't have the experience to go further in Europe. And most of Tottenham's players are, or the defenders from Tottenham are playing in this Belgium side. So the same mentality would be carried over. Okay, so we're both going with Brazil. Let's move on to the easy side of the bracket. Croatia, Russia. This could go either way for me. Hands down, you feel it's easy? Yeah, yes, I do. I feel Russia's been riding a, a, a luck train uh, most of the tournament. They, their group, their group, um, group stages was very convincing. Uh, but um, the, run, the round of 16, Spain, oh, we would never say they would have lost through penalties. And <laughs> the first 90 minutes, Russia was lucky to come back and equalize. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay, you can't say it's luck. Um, so they've been riding a lot of luck where Croatia, Croatia has been efficient and also like one of the favourites for the tournament. They didn't, they, they haven't really done extremely well only when they played Argentina, but they did good enough to be a great tournament team. So I believe Croatia has all the powers to go next, through to the next round. Yeah, I think Croatia will win too, but I actually think it's going to be 0-0 after 120 and they're going to win on penalties because I think Ru- Russia's riding the luck... Russia's riding the luck slash Putin train. I mean, they they are going to park the bus for the entire game, and I don't know if Croatia is going to be able to break them down. And the key for, for Russia is you got to take Modric and Rakitic out of the game. If you take them out of the game, which is really hard to do, Croatia's not going to be able to do much. And Denmark actually did pretty well with that. They took them out of the game. Rakitic and Modric could not find any channels to for Rebic or for Mandzukic or Perisic. And Denmark did a really good job there, and I think they're going to look at Denmark's performance, and Russia's going to say, we're going to amp that to another level, and we're going to just defend for most of the game. Let's try and get a goal off a penalty. Let's try and get some official calls from the from the referee, which is very possible, considering they're the host nation. We've seen that before. But I think Croatia will win another penalty shootout. I feel that Croatia's group stage performance is never going to translate in the knockout phase, however far they go. In terms of the goals, in terms of the the wins, I think Croatia is one of those teams that's going to be maybe an extra time team. They're going to have enough talent to beat a team on penalties or maybe beat a team in extra time. But I think Croatia will win the game. But let's move on to the England-Sweden game. This one will be very, very interesting. First off, would you make any changes to the England eleven? Um. Yes, I would. I would make changes. I would take Dele Ali out because um, he's been missing for most of the tournament. He showed that he's been missing for most of the tournament. I would also take either Jesse Lingard or Ryan Sterling out of the team. Use somebody else in, in good effect. Um, my, my, my back line I'll definitely change. I would leave. I would put in stones. Um, Kyle Walker right back and Trippier to the left um, with Maguire centre back. Um, centre back pairing with um, Stones again. Just to be there for that physical challenge. 
um, if they were to go with Kyle Walker again, Henderson is very um, dangerous when it comes to a um, very good midfielders playing against him, where he leaves the um, the backline exposed. So it could be very dangerous to leave him protecting that uh, back three, if that makes sense. No, I, I agree. I think that maybe switching to a back four would just make things easier. But got to say, England's defenders have actually been the best of the tournament in terms of English players. I, th- I feel Harry Maguire has been the best player for England all tournament. He's been going forward. He's winning headers. Yeah, absolutely. He had a great season for Leicester. And I still remember uh, when I played Football Manager 2016, I actually had him starting for my World Cup squad. That was two years ago. So just showing you the amazing prediction powers of Football Manager. Uh, great game. You should buy it. It's not sponsored, by the way. We're not sponsored by them. But uh, Harry Maguire, great player. Kieran Trippier's played really well, too. I feel that he's been doing well. Gareth Southgate has basically taken the idea of Roy Hodgson and has perfected it when it comes to the wingbacks coming back. That's what wingbacks should do. Translated it onto the pitch much better, yes. Much, much better. And for an example that Belgium has not been able to execute, England has been able to execute that with Kieran Trippier and... Um, you know, maybe Danny Rose or, I mean, God, why can't I think of who's been starting on the left for England? It's not Kyle Walker because he's playing center back. The left back has been, um, he got injured. That's why Danny Rose had to come on. He pulled up a bit tight. Right, Danny Rose. Yeah, Danny Rose came on late. But why can't I think of who it is? This is so embarrassing. I'm sure it was Trippier that was playing left back first. But he was moved over to the right back. Right. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. Well, either... Move into the center. Yeah. <clears throat> Either way, uh, yeah, we. I don't no, know. This yes. is, these are all Premier League players. We should be knowing this by heart. This is ridiculous. One, I gotta check this. Okay, well let's let's double check this. Let's just go back to the starting lineup. Do this on my phone. Make sure to keep you on the phone. Yeah, Ashley Young. What are we talking about? It's Ashley Young. <laughs> it's Ashley Young, yes. Ashley Young, one of the better performances as well. Because Ashley Young was very good in the, uh, the Columbia game. Yeah, Ashley Young's played fine. And England's defense has played fine. But I think they got to put Ruben Loftus-Cheek in. I think he offers more um, against Sweden. And he's been playing better than Deli Ali in the performances he'd have. Granted, he played against Panama and Belgium, which, you know, Belgium wasn't even playing in that game. Neither was England. Um... I think you also bring on Vardy or Rashford earlier on to break down the Swedish defense, just like uh, France need to do with Uruguay. You got to get speed out there. You got to get guys who are going to run at the defenders. Vardy and Rashford do that. Harry Kane is not much of a person that does that. And England have got to find a way to score an open play. I do not think they're going to be able to score on a set piece in this game because Sweden doesn't foul in stupid scenarios. They they're very disciplined. The most disciplined team left in the tournament. And also they are going to be able to mark you on set pieces. And they're bigger than the most of the England players. So they're going to be able to mark on those set pieces. England need to be able to score an open play. That is why I am picking the upset, and I'm picking a Sweden one nothing win over England. Sweden's going to the semis. Yeah, I think we both agree on that one. Um, I don't know if you remember in our group chat, we also said that same thing, that Sweden just has that um, thing of being able to score an open play where England has struggled against tougher competitors. Um, we seen it um, last night in Colombia's match. They, where Colombia came to the party, England struggled to hold a 1-0, uh, 1-0 ball game um, when they dropped to a second side, more, um, let's just say second side, uh, against Belgium. They struggled a lot. Ruben Loftus, one of their better players on the day, um, 
also attack space better. If he plays, he will be able to attack that free space that a lot of them will be leaving open of the Bowden side because they like to attack. We know Kevin De Bruyne likes to get up. Um, who else um, is the other guy that um, also in the midfield that likes to get forward? Fellaini is on, but he comes on so second half only. He's an impact player. Once Fellaini comes on in the uh, oh, what game? Who are we talking about now? Oh, we're talking about um, England. Sorry, 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 sorry. Got confused there now. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, England with a midfield. Back to the midfield. Their midfield definitely needs to change. Dele Ali can't beat. I don't think he's better than Kevin De Bruyne. Not Kevin De Bruyne. Then, um, who's this? Forsberg? Talking about Forsberg? Well, I'm just lost here. Um, Sweden, Sweden, there, that's the team. Um, yeah, I know Sweden will be able to outpower them, like we were saying, in the midfield. Um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, they don't know much about him, so they they won't be able to match him. Let's just put it that way. Man for man, everyone's big enough to play each other in set pieces, like you say. So, definitely an open play. If any set pieces goes against England, free kicks, corners, they're in trouble. They, I think, yeah, I think England's in trouble. I... I will not buy that football is coming home until England actually win the final, especially with the way Sweden has played, not just in the tournament, but also in qualifying, because they've translated their qualification performances into the tournament against good opposition. They finished first in a really difficult group. They got out of a World Cup qualifying group with France and Holland, and they beat Italy in the playoff. They have played good teams, and without Zlatan, they are so much better. So we're both in agreement. We've got the same semifinals. France, Brazil, Croatia, Sweden. In that scenario, who's making the final? In that scenario, who's making the final? Who do you think, Arya? I, I have... Fr- I go for Sweden and Brazil. That's... Wow. I go with the exact opposite. I go with France, Croatia. Oh, okay. I think Sweden could beat Croatia. The finals is very possible because of how the teams have been playing, of the four teams that we've been talking about. I mean, nothing here except in Russia going through would be an upset. Yeah, I think the biggest upset would be Russia if they've got to the semis, if they got to the final. But either way, we're looking at a very uh, a very star-powered final. Even with Sweden, Sweden would be a big upset too. Uh, last question before we go. Is this the best World Cup you've ever seen? Yes, it is the best World Cup I've ever seen. It's sad, though, that the U.S. and South Africa both aren't in this one, but it's so much better without them. <laughs> to the quarterfinals or the finals, most probably. <laughs> God. Now, U.S. US would have gotten destroyed. I mean, in the, in the direct replacement scenario, you put U.S. in for Panama. They're not getting out of that group with Belgium and England. And let's say South Africa was in the group with uh, Morocco. They would have been in a group with Portugal and Spain. No way, man. Egypt, definitely. We swapped for them. We would have never made it out there. Yeah, if only the U.S. and South Africa. I'm sure they'll make it maybe 2026 when it's expanded. But, yeah, this has been the best World Cup. The drama, the craziness, the stoppage time goals, the upsets, just everything about it. You never know the results. You never know when a game is going to end. But also, we've only had one scoreless draw. That's insane. That's amazing. Yeah. Even though the goals have been low scored or the games have been low scored, um, but in the France and Argentina and the Panama and um, – was it Panama in England? I think it was. Yeah, England beat them 6-1. 6-1, yes. So, besides that, um, there's been really um, low-scoring games, but all of the games has been having goals, and no one's been able to say, oh, 
what happens if they draw here? Yeah? Like, I wasn't expecting a draw between Colombia and England, to be honest. But it still happened. 1-1, <coughs> goals are coming. People are making sure they score. And like you say, the events of this tournament with the underdogs coming through above the people, our predictions were way, my predictions were way off um, who was going to exit the group early and who was going to go through from the group stages. I can never say the people that, or the teams that made it through were the teams that I expected. So the tournament has been great. It's, it's been good to see that soccer is evolving all over. Agreed. It's been a great, great tournament, and I'm sad when it will end. There's only eight games left. Make sure to tune in for the quarterfinals Friday and Saturday. Friday, you've got Uruguay and France, followed by Brazil and Belgium. And then on Saturday, Sweden and England are actually the first game, and then it will be Russia against Croatia. Next time, we will be having a podcast. Esteban will be tuning in on Sunday to do a nice little uh, quarterfinal review. He's going to be talking about the quarterfinal games, and we're going to be getting ready for the World Cup semifinals by then. I want to thank Ashley Anthony for joining me. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks for having me again, Adi. It was blast once again. So for Ashley Anthony, I'm Ori Benatar. Thank you for listening to another edition of our Road to Moscow podcast. Make sure to tune in next time here, Top Flight Podcast. See you next time.